Hello and welcome to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike, and today I'll be chatting with CEO and founder of Cladwell, Blake Smith. So stay tuned. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Barondike, and today I'll be chatting with Blake Smith. He is the founder and CEO of Cladwell. But before we get there, uh, Blake takes us back through a lot of his his childhood and, and early memories, getting involved in his faith and also in business, and how these two actually started started from an intersection. He was delegated a responsibility of being a youth leader for several months at his local church, which some might say sparked his interest into business. He then entered into a finance career, graduated college, and and then shifted into sales and marketing for an entertainment company. Throughout this, he started to get this nudge to start up his own company, and naturally, Cladwell came to fruition. Cladwell's mission is to empower men and women to find the right clothes to be ready for anything, to fight fear and help people live confidently and Blake really does embody the values of this organization. He's a man of self-freedom and justice uh, to live out these values not only at Cladwell but with his family and and in his walk with Christ. So let's turn on over now to my conversation with Blake. Hello and welcome to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host Tyler Brondike and today I'm joined with Blake Smith founder and CEO of Cladwell. So without further ado, Blake, thanks so much for joining this afternoon. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. So how I like to kick things off is by opening up in prayer. Um, So I can kick us off in a quick prayer and then we can dive in. Great. Father, thanks for bringing Blake and I together this afternoon on, on President's Day when this is being recorded grateful uh, for this long weekend for myself, uh, spend a bit more time in rest and, and just enjoying everything that you've put in my life and just excited to, 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 hear, from, to hear from Blake and, and everything that you've poured into his life um, in his personal ministry and, and with Cladwell and just how, you've, how he's been able to glorify you throughout this process. Um, just looking forward to hearing more about this story and experience, knowing that you've you've done so much for for both of us, and um, it, it needs to be shared and it needs to be appreciated um, for what it's worth. So, with this, I pray, Amen. Um, so, to to kick things off, I, I just want to hear a bit more about yourself, um, where you come from, some of your biggest interests and and passions and gifts, and then just a brief intro as well into Cladwell. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a very broad question. Uh, I'd say, so a little bit about me. Uh, something that's helpful to know about me is actually I was homeschooled um, all 12 years growing up. Um, and uh, not as much because we were like granola-ish or hippie-ish, but more um, my dad was an executive. And so we moved about every two or three years. And so um, a big piece was just convenience. But another big piece of it is that I had a narrative from a really early age really set forth by my mom that um, us kids were something that my parents would inflict upon the world, if that makes sense. So it was like, hey, 
the world has problems and we're trying to kind of design and build you so that you can solve those problems and we're going to kind of thrust you at the world um, to make it better. Um, and that's coming from a Christian standpoint. And I'd say all of that, I would give it 95% like really, really helpful and really awesome. Obviously, there's some parts that you kind of have to unpack as you get older, but that really, that narrative of kind of like my purpose here is to try to make things better um, and specifically kind of that act of like restoring them to maybe how God would want them to be. Um, I'll be honest, that's still like my primary motivator in life to this day as a 32-year-old. Um, and that was kind of set out by my parents in a lot of ways. And I'd say that they kind of designed my education around that sort of concept, whether it was studying famous like world changers and that sort of thing, but also just like even that was the through line in the, my educational process. Um, <clears throat> so then uh, coming out of school, didn't really know what I wanted to do. I was thinking about going to be a youth pastor. And actually, if we want to explore that concept a little bit, we can at some point. I was really torn uh, about like, is it is the most spiritually impactful thing I can do is that really um, direct like ministry in a church and feeling a little bit of guilt as I eventually chose to go into business instead of that um, and uh, I've now come full circle to believe that I, I'm so glad I took the, the path that I did take um, and I've actually as, as I'm friends with pastors seen some limitations that they have that I don't have um, around uh, doing what I think God's calling us to. So like it was, yeah, but I'd say that was a real, that was a real big decision point in my career path. Um, and so then right out of school, I uh, went to work for a hedge fund, uh, working in finance. I studied computational mathematics in college. And so uh, the main thought was, was like, hey, this is your first like primary language in business. And I know that finance was really important. And so that was great. It was really like analyzing public and private companies, buying companies, selling companies, and trying to make money with money. Um, an incredible opportunity that I'm so thankful for. Um, frankly, I didn't really deserve, um, but was just kind of put in my lap. Um, and I was really fortunate to have a couple years doing that. And then that company ended up um, founding an entertainment agency, producing movies and TV shows for, um, for big brands like Walmart and Procter and & Gamble. Mm -hmm. And they dropped me in to run finance for that company when I was 25. Um, and that was a really awesome opportunity where I got to learn kind of my second language in my career which is probably more like the marketing and sales and fundraising side. Um, we raised, uh, I'd raised about 25 million bucks for that business um, uh, from Fortune 100 companies. And I really got to do like the whole roadshow thing and like trying to raise money. And that was a really great experience as well. Um, and it was actually during that transition going from um, the hedge fund to the entertainment company that suddenly I realized my clothes mattered a lot. That ended up being a big theme as I kind of went into launching the business that I'm running now called Cladwell. Um, and what I found was uh, I was suddenly spending a lot of time in Hollywood and realizing uh, that my clothes made a really big difference um, about how I was perceived, especially in L.A. And um, I didn't really know what I was doing. And so uh, I had an embarrassing moment that I'd rather not get into that involves some pleated pants and me sitting by, the, by a pool in Beverly Hills. Um, but, uh, yeah, we don't have to get into that precisely. <laughs> okay. But, uh, but after that I was like, man, I need it. I need some help. And so I hired my friend Chris and I just said, Hey man, can you just like tell me, um, what to wear and I'll do it. Um, <laughs> and he did, he actually assembled for me, um, an interchangeable wardrobe called the capsule wardrobe, about 30 items where everything went with everything else. Um, I don't know if you know this, but the average person in the U S has like 150 items of clothing. Um, so to have only 30 is actually fairly minimal. But the way he did it was he selected it very specifically where everything kind of matched with each other. And the amount of like joy that I felt 
from that process was astounding. Like I just like literally every morning looking at my closet, I was like, wow, this looks really good. I feel really confident. This is a far better way to interact with your clothes. Um, and that was kind of, the, honestly, it was a kind of a basic uh, epiphany that we had that really started the idea for Cladwell. And that epiphany was um, that there are no friends in the fashion industry. There are a lot of salespeople, um, but there's nobody who's just like on your side and saying, hey, let me set you up so you're really, you know, that, that this looks good for you and that you're doing well. Um, mm -hmm. And so that was really, that was the big epiphany. was like, oh, there needs to be, from a brand standpoint, there should be a friend in this industry, a third party. Um, and so it's kind of based on just that. Um, that's what we really founded Cladwell on. Um, from a personal journey standpoint, um, the thing that kind of kicked me into entrepreneurship um, was uh, was specifically when my son was born. Um, I don't know. A lot of people, I think, are really conservative uh, when they have kids. The opposite was true for me. It like made me super aggressive, and I started to feel this kind of um, compulsion to build something, um, something that that I could bring my family into. Um, and uh, yeah, it was really a palpable kind of draw for me and my wife. And so when he was born, that was like, shoot, I gotta, I gotta do something here. And so I ended up pitching the fund that I was working for for equity, and they said no way, and just told me to walk. And so I was like, oh, I guess in that case, I need to build something myself. And so kind of quit with that and a couple friends to start this business called Cladwell. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, you want me to kind of go into the Cladwell stuff, or what do you want me to do from here? No, thanks so much. Thanks so much for for giving me that background. Um, yeah, I, it's, I, I always like to, to ask that initial question just to kind of give a you know high level, high level overview, but then also you know kind of dig into a few different areas too. And I think that was definitely a very clear explanation of um, kind of how these all these different experiences ended up aligning to to kind of take you to this to this certain place of where you are today. And, yeah. Um, and I, I think, you know, and I always, I always like to, to create that narrative and, and make sure that narrative is expressed of how it's not like it was not like an overnight change for you that like Cladwell, you know, I, I think a lot of the positions that you were in kind of started to build on build on each other and kind of br branch off of each other, too. And, and and create this this experience for you where, you know, because you were working for this, you know, this 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 entertainment uh, company doing marketing and sales and a lot of the the just built really building that company you were in a position where you're you know and, and we won't get into this story but you know at the in beverly hills unfortunately with a, a bit of a um mishap with your you know with these with these pants so i, I and i i think that's just that's crazy I, um how i guess one question i want to ask on that is was the was the idea of Cladwell um, something that kind of has evolved over time and in terms of how you've really started to kind of re... It sounds like you've kind of repurposed or maybe seen it from a bit of a different light of how really that the actual challenge or the actual challenge that you're, that you're solving. I want to kind of go a bit more into where you feel that Cladwell is, is you know, is doing, is doing something completely different than what's kind of out there right now. And the fact that you're a clothing company, but you don't sell clothes. Yes. Yeah. So the initial epiphany was really straightforward. It was just, there isn't a friend in fashion and there could be a brand there. Yeah. So initially when we started, it was just like, cool, let's build a clothing brand that is a friend in fashion. And so literally we started trying to sell entire interchangeable wardrobes, actually selling clothing to men, like, cause I was the target. Yep. Um, 
and we got a lot of traction initially from a user standpoint, like 200,000 users in like nine months. Um, but that didn't really translate into revenue. Um, mm -hmm. And in fact, we found ourselves kind of conflicting a little bit. We had a couple conflicts. One was that the way you make money in the fashion industry traditionally is you email people like day and night trying to convince them to buy more clothes when maybe they don't want to. And that's not what a friend would do. So like my thesis from a brand standpoint was conflicting with our business model. So that was really problematic. Um, but then second uh, was I started kind of, um, we started to get tired. Like it was really hard to start a business and um, just building it on like, oh, this would be cool or this is a cool market opportunity starts to maybe not have as much emo uh, emotional or like meaningful weight for you over time and you kind of need to dig deeper into this industry to figure out like what's actually redeeming and true and like good and beautiful about this business right like we start coming to reach for these higher things and as we went like one layer deeper um specifically read a book uh called the uh, high cost of fast fashion by elizabeth klein um and uh started to realize that there was a lot of really bad stuff happening in the fashion industry um around really our patterns of consumption we're buying way more clothes than we've ever in the history of mankind, and we're wearing them less and then disposing of them in ways that actually hurt the environment and hurt um, the societies that we're giving or you know, throwing these clothes into. Um, and so I kind of started to realize, like, what am I going to do about that? Like, the problem became very personal because I actually could make decisions about which brands we featured. And um, that was when we, I'd say, really kind of stumbled into, like, oh, we need to solve a different problem. Um, and I'd say we really, really stumbled into what our thesis is. Um, and that's where I think it, this went from maybe something that was, like, kind of a cool idea into something that, like, oh, I think this is actually more of, like, a calling. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'd say this is, this is the thesis that I've kind of rallied around. If you think about the fashion industry, number two largest industry on Earth, one in six human beings on this planet works in the fashion industry um, in some way, shape, or form. And that entire industry is obsessed about the moment that you purchase um, the shirt that you're wearing right now, right? It's like either when you swipe the credit card or you enter them online, everything is pointing from an advertising standpoint, from a manufacturing standpoint, um, from a stocking standpoint, everything's pointing to this one event of when you transact, hmm. um, which is weird because that's actually only day one in your relationship with that uh, that shirt that you're wearing right now, right? In fact, you might have another 900,000 days interacting with that shirt each day when you you know put it on or decide whether you're gonna wear it, how you're gonna pair it with things, how often you're gonna wash it, and eventually how you're gonna dispose of it. And there's no industry on that side of the transaction. So there's a fundamentally a misalignment of focus between the number two largest industry on earth and all of humanity. Um, and so we asked ourselves this question of like, what would it look like to align on the human side of clothing rather than on the clothing side of clothing? And there's been very little innovation or exploration around that. Um, and so in order to do that, we had to ask the question, well, what's, what's the problem that you have to solve? Um, and that problem was actually something that nobody was solving, including ourselves. And this is only like a year and a half ago that we started to ask this question of like, what's the main problem on the human side of clothing? Um, and when I tell you, I think that you'll agree. Um, the number one problem statistically that we found with humans and their clothes um, that has nothing to do with transactions is I have way too much clothing and I have nothing to wear. Mm -hmm. um, which is exactly like, which makes total sense because that's the one problem you can't shop your way out of, right? You can't buy your way out of that problem. In fact, the more you buy, the worse that problem gets, um, which it just only highlights the focus of this industry and how it's misaligned with humanity. Um, so we said, okay, great, that's going to be the problem that we're going to solve. Um, and so what Cladwell does is we're an app, a subscription app, um, mm -hmm. 
that for uh, eight bucks a month, each morning, uh, based on the clothes that are already in your closet, we tell you what to wear uh, based on the weather, based on uh, the specific mix of clothes that you have in your closet and what that tells us about your style, um, based on what you've worn previously, um, and then based on the, uh, the events that you have for that day. We actually recommend what to buy. Um, and using all the clothes that you have simply by tapping on items, you don't have to take pictures, but by tapping on the items that you have, you can actually see uh, tens of thousands, if not millions of outfit permutations that you've maybe never even thought of before. So I'd say we're like a true stylist in that we try to help you do more with what's already there as opposed to um, trying to, uh, you know, to make you discontent with that which you don't have, right? Mm -hmm. So, it, I don't know, if you think about it, we're like... Um, we're, we're more akin to like a fashion magazine in a lot of ways um, in that like, what is a fashion magazine? A fashion magazine is a bunch of, is pictures of people that aren't you and probably don't look like you, no offense, um, wearing clothes that you don't have going to places that you'll probably never go and from that you're supposed to get some sort of um, actionable style information, um, you know, inspiration or something like that. Um, and I think that's a horrible process that's actually built on um, pining for something that was different. I wish I had different clothes. You know, these clothes are no longer trendy or no longer popular. Or I wish I had a different body. You know, that, that body is not really good enough um, or does not live up to the standard form that they're just going to setting for you. Um, and so it's really, it's an entire model that's based on inspiration through discontentment. Um, and we're trying to kind of address that head on and say, what would it look like to start with what is? The body that is, the clothes that are, and say, how do we create beauty out of that? Mm, um, yeah. And um, that's really, that's the definition of contentment. Um, and so from a, from a mission standpoint, um, I find that really meaningful. And that's resonated a lot with our customers who are now are predominantly women. We're about 80% women, 20% men. Um, um, and that, that concept has, been, has really resonated a lot in an industry that kind of is focused on always... Um, essentially withholding approval unless you purchase to like start with like, Hey, what you have is okay. Let's, let's work with that to make it uh, more beautiful. Um, so yeah, I'd say it's something that uh, if that's all I accomplished in my life and the end of my life, I can sign my name to at least put in a dent in that industry. Um, I think I'd be pretty happy with that. Yeah. And I, I find that, um, yeah, pretty significant. Yeah. No, I, I'm just trying to think, think about this and visualize it myself. Right. And I, I mean, like, like with my sister, for example, she, you know, she, she has just hundreds upon hundreds of clothes in her closet, which I'm sure is very standard for, for many women and, and for many, you know, uh, young, you know, females too, or, you know, even as you get older. And she, I remember coming home over, over, over one break and she said, Tyler, I don't know what to wear. And I'm like, what do you mean you don't know what to wear? You have like, you know, so much stuff in your closet. But I, but I, I, I think it, it pointed to it pointed to that challenge of yeah there's there's so much that she already had but it like she but she also just didn't couldn't have kind of figure out what what worked together too and I love how you're able to not only you know I think create a, awareness of of what the of what the challenge or making the most out of what you already have but then you also provide um like a service by by doing the you know by doing these permutations and by creating something that allows people to to see you know firsthand or, and and using the app as the platform of what this could actually look like and I mean I, I I think it's I think it's so cool and so awesome and um going back to your initial point on the transaction I I, I thought about that I'm like yeah I, you know you you always see these 
these uh, I forget where I saw this, but um, you know one one shirt that you buy like like it goes across the you know the whole world to make that shirt, and it is like this this and it it kind of speaks on that like the how this this one transaction has been really glorified, right? I mean, it, you know, it, it your your shirt is you know made in in India and then it goes and it's you know pack, packaged in you know the, the UK and then it's sent over to the United States and then you know and then it's reshipped over and but um, and I think there's and I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of overconsumption of what we're already doing right now um, and. I also want to touch on something that that you mentioned. Um, I know you have you know an, an interest in in math and and obviously you know these these different permutations that you've been able to do. How have you been able to really use like some of your own gifts too, and and kind of use what you're interested in your, in your talents to help keep this really interesting and creative for you? I'm sure that you know continuing to get smarter is not only a good business idea, but it's something that you really enjoy doing too. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, really, like, if I think about, like, my my gifts, um, I don't know, I'd say just generally, as, like, if you're starting a startup, the journey kind of goes from really just doing everything and doing a lot of things that you're not very good at, mm-hmm. right? And, like, you just have to do it. And, like, I know that, like, Elon Musk has this great quote talking about, like, being an entrepreneur is essentially doing all the work that nobody wants to do so that you can hire people to do all the work that you wish you could do. Um, and I, I feel like there's some truth to that, which is like, this is not, and you do all that because you're in love with an idea that is worth sacrificing your own personal fulfillment for. Um, and so I think that that's been a lot of the journey. I say a little bit more now, um, as we're like getting to be a bigger team or a team of 10 now, I can do a little bit more of like what I'm truly gifted at or like what I can bring the most value in. And honestly, that's this stuff. It's like just talking about Cladwell, bragging about how awesome our team is and how great our product is. Um, so sales and pitching is like definitely like from a gifting standpoint, that's a big focus for me. Um, and then the other strategy, which is kind of seeing gaps, um, either from a marketing standpoint or from an industry standpoint, seeing space where we can come in and kind of take ground. Um, and so I'd say a lot of like the kind of mapping out of what the opportunity is, that's that's probably a skill set for me. Um, uh, from a mathematical standpoint, honestly, like, um, I don't know. I, I think that I studied math in college, but that's not, that's not truly, I, I was never a true mathematician. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd say that already our team is so far beyond my skill set <laughs> mathematically as far as the algorithms that we're doing now, maybe the concept originated with me a long time ago, but honestly, they're so far beyond me, um, okay. at this point. Okay. Wow. Um, Something, something else I want to touch on too is kind of how this has kind of intertwined into your faith too. Obviously, as the guys like us is, you know, a faith-based podcast, um, I, I like yeah. to, to share kind of the your, your spiritual journey and then um, kind of where you are right now. So I, I want to go back and first talk a bit more about when you, you first got involved in your Christian faith and kind of how that manifested for you over the years. Yeah, yeah. Um. So I, I grew up with the assumption that I would be following Jesus. So my parents kind of um, trained me specifically for that. And I'd say less maybe following Jesus and more that I was a Christian. Um, and I, I delineate that because I think that it's a little bit more specific when you say following Jesus. I think uh, it was an assumption that I would profess this faith. Um, and that has been the case like my whole life. I'd say I have said, hey, this is what I believe and this is what I'm, um, I follow, that Jesus is the Son of God 
and that his ways are better than other ways, and so I will follow those ways. Um, mm. Okay. And I'd say that, that that's been a pretty consistent through line. Um, going into like high school, it became way more exciting to me um, because honestly, I had a couple like uh, couple like older men in the church kind of give me opportunities to to be a part of what uh, the church was about or what they were about. They're almost kind of like apprenticing in like ministry type stuff. So whether that was like actually um, leading a youth group when I was like 16, I had like a 50 person youth group that I led for like, it was like four or five months while they were in between youth pastors. And like literally the elders of the church just kind of said, Hey, we need somebody to do this. Uh, Blake seems to have a little bit of pull. Let's just put him and do that. And so like actually teaching on Sunday mornings and that sort of thing. And I feel like started to get to utilize some of my gifts um, specifically at the public speaking gifts mm. and the, um, the social gifting and that sort of thing in the direction of seeing this kind of the kingdom of God expanding. So kingdom meaning just like God's ways expanding or in other people's lives. And that was really exciting to me. Um, and I feel like it was like more of like the, the doing things. Um, cause I mean, my last name is Smith. I'm a, I'm a worker, you know, and I really, I like working and being able to work in the kingdom is really exciting to me. And I felt like closer to God through that process. Um, that, and then it felt like a little bit of a step back going into finance. Cause then suddenly that wasn't like my full-time work. Um, and it felt like I, it was harder for me to make a direct, um, bridge into what I was doing, feeling like it was like expanding God's kingdom or anything like that. But then the entertainment company, when we made that transition, suddenly I was much more in it. The, the whole thesis of it was trying to promote family entertainment and, um, in an area where there wasn't a lot of family entertainment coming from a Christian perspective. So that was actually really exciting to me. Um, and then that was kind of when I realized like, oh, whatever I do for me in particular, whatever I do is actually going to be probably in the consumer world and toward changing hearts and minds in, um, in culture. Uh, because that's something that's kind of what I use as the bar as to like, whether this is something that I'm made for and what God's kind of made me for on his team. Yeah. I, I'd say that the journey with Bible in particular was pretty markedly different, um, spiritually, um, for a couple reasons. Um, I guess the two main reasons are that I think I entered into God's like two favorite things to disciple people. Um, one was becoming a father, um, and two was running a business. And I think that God loves those two things in particular because they both have to do with increasing responsibility and like that weight on your shoulders. And it makes you kind of go like, "Help, please, like help me, <laughs> yeah. I'm stuck." Like, you know, yeah. way that maybe. Yeah. I feel like being before, like uh, not having children and not running a business, you're a little bit insulated from the ups and downs in some ways. The fragility, you're actually being protected from the fragileness. If you talk to any CEO of any Fortune 100 company, they're like, help, like inside, deep down. They're like, it's scary. It's very yeah. fragile. Yeah. Um, and so I'd say that that really, the step into that um, had a couple really significant things for my walk uh, with God. Um, one was it broke me um, from this maybe kind of like great man narrative that I had and still struggle with today, but I'd say it really did break it a lot, which is this idea of like I, my life is not worthwhile unless I someday am considered a great man, a man who's like remembered. And that has to do probably with some of my upbringing of like studying some of these great, great men in the past. Um, and when Cladwell looked like it was not going to succeed, like we had some moments that it was pretty obviously going to be failing completely and like shutting down. I'd lose all my investors' money, um, many of whom are like friends and family. Uh, when that happened, my friend kind of challenged me and he said, you need to have a narrative for your life 
that doesn't res- result in you being great or famous and it's still being a good life. And he says, you need an actual picture of a character. Um, and so actually in the, that kind of stuck with me. And the person I chose was actually Jean Valjean in uh, the book Les Miserables. And I don't know if you've read the book or seen the movie, but at the end of his life, this man is dying essentially in complete anonymity. He's only known by his daughter and uh, son-in-law, his new son-in-law. And at the end of his life, he sacrifices himself for his son-in-law, both to save him, but also to benefit his daughter. And the two of them look to him and say, this man is a saint. And so he's loved two people well. And they say, like, we want to call out how great this man is. And it was only two people. Um, and then the, it states this statement that actually I wear on a necklace on my around my neck. Really, right now I have it that says, uh, "To love another person is to see the face of God." Um, and I, through a lot of journaling and honestly, like a lot of really like stressful time, that kind of became kind of like a, a rock for me of like, oh, that's that's my finish line of like as long as that is true that I'm loving a few people well, and those people are my wife, my now four children. And the people on my team, if I do that and everything else fails and I die in anonymity, um, that's enough and that's actually a good life. Um, and that I, that would have to be broken off me for sure. Um, and God used that for sure in a big way. Um, the second, I'd say, is more recent in the past year. Um, it's just this idea of like how is being a follower of Jesus going to set you up to be different, like actually like mathematically or set apart, like measurably different as an executive um, and I, I feel like through a group called Praxis, um, which is a group of Christian um, entrepreneurs, um, I'm beginning to learn a little bit more about what that specifically looks like. Um, one is my wife and I have pretty explicitly talked about how much money we want to make in our life. Um, and we've kind of said we're going to cap, um, we're going to cap our, our monthly income at a certain point, And we've kind of outlined what that is. And we will not consume as a household any more than that amount each month, period. Um, and we've said outside of it, whatever money comes in outside of that, we'll either give away, um, invest into the future for future impact, um, or, uh, use it, you know, to, to bless our children and set them up for future impact. Um, but we're not going to consume it. Um, and I think that that's a pretty fundamental thing of following Jesus is actually at some level of consuming less, um, and actually in, and finding contentment in what you have. Um, so that's, that's a big deal for sure. Um, and then, uh, oh shoot, there was one other thing that was coming out of that conversation. I'm trying to remember which one. Um, oh, I guess, yeah. Yeah, the other is like uh, looking for generosity and like using our home and using our relationships to be giving to others, whether it's people in the company or just people around us. Um, and those have to go hand in hand. It's like contentment and generosity have to go together and kind of like really starting to ask like, Hey, practically, what does this look like? Um, um, and then the other thing that I've been doing lately that has been really helpful spiritually is I feel like just asking Jesus each morning, Hey, what are you up to today? I, I believe that God's kingdom is at work and not, I don't have to build it. I don't have to construct it. I don't have to push it forward. He's doing stuff around me every single day. And when he says in you know Matthew six thirty three to seek first his kingdom, I think that's literal. First thing you should do in the morning is ask God, like, what are you up to today? And how can I join in? Um, and honestly, just that really basic conversation in the morning has produced more fruit in the past year than any Bible study I've ever done or anything like that. Um, sorry, that was kind of a long-winded answer, but it's just a general idea. 
Yeah, no, that's 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 beneficial and helpful. Um, I, I think a full things I want to a few things I want to pull out of that. Uh, what you just spoke on is um, being and they're actually kind of both inspired by my by my uh, my church and and my pastor at my church. And it's um, it's one being famous in your household. I think as something that is that's kind of seen as that's success for you, and that's that's seen as something that you'd want to. That's 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 the picture, right? And it's that from um, just just looking at at that character in um, a, a, as yourself as someone you know in the future that if you you know if you're if you're if your if you're you know maybe your parents or if your your spouse and if your your kids just love you and and really admire and respect what, what you do and and you um, just have really lived a good life with them and that's something that's successful. Um, and then the other thing is is and this kind of speaks to your overall mission and this is how this is kind of manifested is this less is more principle too. And I, I really, I, I do like that. Um, it might be you know, a little bit cliche, but I think it's, I think it's beneficial. And, um, you know, that there's the parable and teaching about the rich man entering into the kingdom. Right. And it's first, he has to sell all of his possessions. And that was something that was so challenging. So I think, um, I'm, I think it's always important to kind of have an idea of where you want to go um, and to kind of set that vision of what this will look like. And, but I, and I think it's also important, um, at least in my walk, that you, once you set this vision, it's, it's important to really kind of stay focused on like the day to day. And I think, and I, I, lo- I also love how you tie that together just by in the morning, you ask Jesus, you know, what's going on? How can I, how can I be part of the kingdom and how can I continue to, to, to help? And, you know, what should I be doing right now? Um, and I, and I, I really like that, the kind of morning ritual. And, you know, I've seen a lot of trends and success for people, from people who are, who focus this morning reflection and morning intention setting as something that really does pay off in the, in the, in the longevity, um, and starts to kind of increase your batting average of, uh, of kind of spiritual discipline too. Totally, um, totally. So one cut on the fame thing of like being famous in your family, like you know, like when God makes the promise to Abraham, um, He says, "I'm going to make you famous." He actually gives that specific. It's not like fame. A desire for fame is a bad thing, but the question is, where are you famous, and where was mm-hmm. He famous? He was famous downstream through His through multiple generations, and less famous like currently modern day in terms of likes on Instagram posts and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. I think that that's like, there's kind of like a weird, uh, I think that the desire for fame should inspire us to invest in multi-generational like legacy to like bless people over years and you know, hundreds of years. Um, and that's, that's a really good desire and should actually result in us serving people. Um, when it gets backwards is when we try to, like exploit people for fame in the here in the present, like horizontally as opposed to vertically, um, you know, using people to like, so that we're well known today as opposed to being well known 50 years from now mm-hmm. um, by setting up a family to like succeed. Yeah. No, I, I think, I think that the, the focus and the purpose on, on like where you're famous and what you're famous for is really important and a, an important distinction. Cause I think a lot of times in, in culture and social media and, and just like the way that, um, a, a lot of things that we see have been taken from scripture, right? Like a lot of like these big quotes that we see that are, you know, the inspirational, motivational quotes are used, you know, it's like, I can do all things, but they forget to, but people forget to say, I can do all things through Christ. And I think 
we we tend and to what those all things are primarily is contentment in that verse. He's actually saying that's the secret for contentment is knowing that I can do all things, right? Like it's so funny that we we take that out of context. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's I actually didn't even know that myself. So okay, for contentment, yeah, and I, I think we 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 take you know I can do all things is like I can accomplish anything I want to do. I think that's the that's <clears throat> the general kind of like you know mantra that that people put on, and it's this it's this big like what is a man type thing too all right and it, it's it's we kind of start to skew and to to kind of pry away and start to kind of water down what the intention is and it's uh i think it takes it takes these spiritual disciplines and it takes um a lot of questioning and you know being a disciple listening learning and listening questioning and acting on on, on what we do and being intentional about it too um so I, I just I appreciate that you know your answer and kind of how you um, what faith has meant to you and uh, I want to kind of focus a bit more on um, what in terms of seeing like Cladwell is something that you do on a spend a lot of your time doing especially since it's you know still I'm sure in the early stages of where where you'd like it to be um, how how do you kind of keep the in the, you know, in the day to day, but you know, besides that, that morning, um, that morning kind of question to Jesus, you know, just opening the floor to Jesus, how do you kind of see this picture and live it out kind of in your day to day? Maybe it's through things that you do, you know, small prayers, or I'm just curious to kind of how you kind of make sense and, and, and really start to live, live it out. Yeah, that's a good question. I struggle a lot. And like, once I've started my day, I struggle a lot in like gaining that kind of like awareness or whatever of like, oh, what is God doing here in the midst of this? Like, I feel like once I start my day, a lot of times I just feel like I'm in execution. Mm. Um, and some of it's just like I'm jumping from meeting to meeting. Um, so I'd like, I, I don't think I really do that really well. Um, I would say like in terms of like the orienting, like orienting myself to like, what am I trying to accomplish? I feel like um, whenever I get down or frustrated, I have to look back to like, wait, why is this a good thing? Like, that's just, like, the way I'm wired. And so I have, like, a pretty clear picture that I've written out um, of, like, oh, this is how this is good for humanity, and this is how, like, this is why it's worth sacrificing for, um, that this is actually good for people, and that this doesn't exist for a reason. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like I, I go to that a lot hmm. as just a motivation myself, if that makes sense. Um, and then I think the other is just, like, I think that life has a way of forcing trust in God. I don't know, I, you get so frustrated so often and like, disappointed and um, it's almost like you don't, if you're if you're living in a life of like risk-oriented trust, then you don't really have to think a lot about how do I make sure that I maintain my dependence on God. Life kind of does it to me, yeah. right? Like yeah. it's more like this sort of like, help me, please. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I don't, I don't feel like I have to discipline myself. I feel like the thing itself is that discipline. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I, I think that's that's spot on. Something that I've been thinking about a lot too is like when we're when we're, I think for when we're either in when we're in times of like, I think of like the biggest times when we're in need of God. I think is a lot of times through suffering, through uncertainty, and and through when with uncertainty kind of comes risk too. So I think yeah. those are those are definitely at least two big things, and just. I, you know, and I'm sure this will kind of ring to, to both of these is like, 
with these you're you're, you're going to be facing t- like you have to depend kind of on god and like you, because yeah. like everything like that's what it is like if you if you weren't like if you weren't it would be i think it would be it would just be like I don't know where I would be with if I didn't have faith and I was living in this this type of world where it's so it's so volatile or like there's so much uncertainty or like there's a lot of there might be a, a lot of downs and you know there there will be ups but there'll be sometimes it feels like there's a lot more downs than ups. So yeah. um, I don't know if I, I don't know if I articulated that clearly, but I I know what you mean when you when you kind of explain that. Um, it's a great tool, like, and you even think about like. If we go back to, you know, the first violation that mankind had, you can think of it as literal or figurative, but it was not trusting God in the Garden of Eden, right? Yeah. Saying like, oh, you told me this, but I think my own way and I don't trust your opinion. Um, and then God kind of engineered two things to reinforce us into like gaining trust. One was pain in rearing children, which definitely everybody's experienced. Mm-hmm. Um, and two is pain in work, right? right? Toil. There was good work beforehand, but it didn't suck nearly as badly as it does now. Um, and both of those are specific tools for the purpose of teaching us how to trust. Um, and I just feel like those are like God's two, like there, he goes to them a lot. It's like they're engineered for the purpose of teaching us how to trust him. Um, yeah, I don't know, they're, they're very effective tools at that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I agree. The, the last, uh, last two questions I want to ask you. Um, what, what advice, uh, do you have for, I think you can either answer, you know, answer one of these or you can answer both maybe in the same swing, um, for people who are looking to make a change in their career or kind of change in their world or change for the world. And, or maybe they just want to make a change for themselves and start to maybe follow, follow Jesus or can really kind of take that faith to the next level. Hmm. Sorry, there it sounded like there are two different parts to that question. So yeah. repeat that again. Like, yeah. So I, I think part one is is uh, I think for people who are looking to to I think the overall theme is just looking to make a change, um, and that can be to make a change and to start following Jesus, or um, and then kind of just this, along the theme of change, how they can make a change to maybe in their career or the work that they're doing right now. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like on the career side, it's really just ask yourself, like, what do I want? Um, I believe that if you are following Jesus, um, then his Holy Spirit is in you. And that means that your wants are some mixture of the Holy Spirit guiding you, um, your flesh, which is just like, I want a cheeseburger, um, and uh, temptation uh, from uh, an evil uh, oppositional force. Mm-hmm. Um and you can tell if it's the third one because it's like going against God's ways. So you can find that out pretty quick. Um, and then the question is whether it's your flesh um, or, uh, or is this coming from, um, from God leading you? And you can weigh that, I think, through people, other people. Like, hey, does this sound right? Um, and if you have a desire that's not obviously your flesh or evil, um, you should pursue it. Because it's probably something that's actually going to be really good for you to pursue that. And so I, I am a big believer in mapping out very clearly what is it explicitly that you want. And even if that want is something that's considered not very, is almost embarrassing or considered not very Christian. Um, so a good example would be like, you know, at one point I would write like, oh, I want to be famous. It sure was good to know that. That was really helpful to know that. 
And in fact, it was really helpful to then like, because then I can see it, that thing changes. But I think that God really doesn't like it when we're dishonest with him um, in saying that we want things that are holy when maybe that's not what we want. Um, so I'd say explicitly map out what you want um, and then say, what are, what's something I can do this week to get closer to that? It's awesome. really, I feel like it's really straightforward. And I think sometimes Christians, I think sometimes we get in our own way with that stuff. Um, and I don't think that that's what God wants for his adult sons and daughters. For adult sons and daughters, it's like, no, you go after and build or, you know, do what you want to do in that. Um, and then on the question of like going one step further um, in following Jesus, I'd say, honestly, start in the morning. God, what's going on? Where are you moving? And what can I do to help? And if you get a feeling, I would say act on it, even if you're doubtful as to whether that was really from God, because you'll learn something in that process. And I'd say just keep on doing it. I do this. I, I always couch what, when if, if I feel like I get a feeling for a friend of like, oh, I should call this friend and say this word or something like that. Um, I'll act on it and I'll normally caveat it by saying like, hey, this may be bad pizza. Or like I had a half a bottle of wine last night. This may be nothing or it may be from God. And I just want to be about disciplining myself to like practice actually acting on these things. Um, I've seen a ton of fruit from that just even in like, I don't know, just like the act of just like kind of quick obedience um, and trying to listen. Um, I found that really fruitful and I'd encourage people to try it. Awesome. And I, I think that I think that, that that advice I think resonates for both people who are Christians and people who are maybe looking to explore it a bit a bit a bit yeah. more too. If it's, if there's something that kind of has been put on you, and um, a lot of times if it's put on you once, it'll it'll probably come back to you again uh, quite soon. Um, so I think it's, it's it's definitely worthwhile to to act on it. And whether it's and 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 these I think these small acts of obedience do do matter and it can take you to somewhere that you might have never thought that it would have led and it's it's normally a good thing too yeah um so great i, I know we're closing on time um just w- wanted to follow up with where people can find you um and in, in cladwell and then if you could just close us out in a quick uh prayer to wrap up that would be greatly appreciated yeah 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 people can find me uh when playing cladwell it's cladwell.com or search for us in the apple app store and you can find it there Perfect. Um, and I'll wrap us up in prayer. Uh, yeah, God, um, thanks for this opportunity that we could chat today. Thanks for however many people are listening to this. Um, mm-hmm. I believe that you um, you work or at work around here, and that you brought um, these people to this podcast this day for a reason. Um, and so I got pray God that uh, you will use this uh, to help maybe one person. Um, to actually help them have some level of clarity. If there's anything that I said in here that was just coming from me or self-promotion, I pray that it'll just fall away and just be either edited out um, or forgotten. But if there's something here that is a part of what you're doing, I pray God that you will push it forward. Um, continue to bless this. And uh, yeah, may we just be people who uh, are very simple and faithful followers of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.